0: Hey everybody, this episode of Clinic Gym Radio is brought to you by our new communication system, Clinic Gym Connect. Now, I said communication system. It's also a marketing system. It's also a customer service system and it's also a follow-up system. It's all of those things because it is a communication system and you can't provide great service, great care, or great marketing without great communication. So the secret here is that we want you to use text message-based communication. It's what people do today. If you're just emailing your patients, if you're adding them to email lists through MailChimp and Gmail and all that, man, I just think you're going to struggle to grow. But we have some solutions built into our system that will help you grow and make this year the best year you've ever had in clinic and hopefully in your gym. So check out clinicgymconnect.com. Again, that's clinicgymconnect.com. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of Musculoskeletal Healthcare, and I think i found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic-gym hybrid model, and over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic-gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the U.S. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm super excited today because I'm joined by Cass Strunk and Kyle Young from Kabuki Strength. What's up, guys? How are you?
1: Doing great. Good. Thanks for having us on. We
0: appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, uh, I think that some listeners may know about Kabuki. I think you guys are the the uh, the new, I'm going to say new, but you guys are probably like, we've been building this for 20 years, but the new hot kid in town of you're creating incredible equipment. I mean, just look at the trap bar. You can see like this was designed by people who understand what goes on on the gym floor. And you guys are also getting into education, you're getting into coaching, you're providing programs and all sorts of stuff. It's like the the uh, newest company that's dealing with old-time strength training. Sure. So how did how did how the heck did you guys get involved with it?
2: Individually or
0: Sure.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I I actually just was interested in powerlifting for a really long time. Um, it took me a lot of courage to, to step into a gym uh, by myself. But I've been in the health and fitness industry since I was in high school. Um, I graduated with, in, with a bachelor's degree in kinesiology. I'm a physical therapist assistant. So um, you know, full-time clinic work is what I was doing before I joined Kabuki full-time. But I, uh, I was introduced to Kabuki just doing a simple Google search Powerlifting Gym, Portland, Oregon. They were the first first uh, website that popped up. And uh, I'm not going to lie, it took me a year for me to actually step <laughs> in. I, it was always just saved on my browser to walk in. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And so one day I finally did. And uh, Chris Duffman and Rudy Cadlove, who are... Uh, Chris Duffman is the CBO and uh, Rudy Cadlove is uh, the CEO now. Uh, but they, they uh, welcomed me in. And about a week later... Rudy looks over at Chris after I was deadlifting and says, she needs to sign up for the powerlifting meet that's being held here this weekend. And they signed me up. Rudy bought me a singlet. I had no idea what I was doing. And that is how I was introduced to powerlifting one week into the gym. They signed me up and there it goes. And then, you know, through my clinical experience, um, if, if, if anyone listening has been following Chris Duffin for a while, you'll know that his, uh, his, his approach to lifting is, Integrating uh, multiple multiple uh, pro- professionals in the industry, not just powerlifting coaches, but clinicians, uh, you know, from surgeons, chiropractors, LMTs, physical therapists. Um, we have you know athletic trainers. We're we're always wanting to learn from from the best and from multiple perspectives. And so, uh, you know, me being uh, having some clinical experience, I joked around one day saying, "Hey, you guys need a female coach," and they all looked at each other and said, "Wait, are you interested?" And then I said, "Yeah, yeah." And then there we go. And now I'm here, so I'm taking a break from full time clinic work right mm-hmm. now, awesome. and um, just just um, seeing how I can grow here and help Kabuki grow yeah. with uh, a few new projects. I
0: to- I love it because Chris's approach seems just like pragmatic. Like, can that give me a two percent advantage? I, you know, it's like yes. Uh, rubbing this uh, magical flower on your left tricep, uh, you know, right after every lift will help you lift two percent. Cool. Give me some flowers. You know, it's like it doesn't matter. So Kyle, how about you? how did you get involved in, in Kabuki or yeah, with Kabuki? So,
1: um, I, I think, uh, Cassie was actually on coaching staff before me, but my time experiencing Kabuki might've been a year or two before her. So, um, I managed gyms, the gyms, um, uh, including CrossFit gyms, excuse me, here in Portland, Oregon for years. Uh, was a personal trainer, um, actively involved in martial arts, but always had a love for powerlifting. So, Competed in my first couple of events, and I think the first time I heard about Kabuki, were actually Elite Performance Center at an old location at this point in time. And I was, some of my first athletes that I coached at meets were there. Uh, Fast forward years later, I started cross-training when we were Elite Performance Center at this location, um, and that was where I did my meet prep. And then slowly but surely went through one of the very first certifications myself, um, was one of the certified coaches, if you will, on the team, but I was always busy on the other side of town running commercial facilities. Finally had enough of that and uh, closed those down prior to uh, you know pandemic and whatnot, but shifted gears and came on board full-time on, on the coaching staff here. So I have years of uh, competing and actually Brandon is my coach. So I've been coached by Kabuki for way longer than I've been a coach or an employee. And the other interesting thing we're talking about integrating things how I got to know Chris real well, I was a massage therapist, and before I even really knew him, um, he reached out needing help one of the times when he couldn't walk, and I came over and started putting back together, and fast forward into his latest strength beat, I was the guy doing all of his recovery, well, the soft tissue part, there's multiple people on the team, of course, so not all, but the soft tissue side of things, and uh, actually handling him through his last couple big strength beats, so.
0: That's awesome. So, you're a basic kid who walked into Disneyland like, this place is awesome, I could totally work here. I'm going to ask for John.
1: Pretty much. (laughs) That's That's awesome. uh, That's it.
0: (laughs) I think it's, it's, it's uh, awesome to see this progression because like, you know, Chris is uh, for those listening, Chris Duffin, uh, his goal was what a a thousand pounds squat for reps. Am I saying that right? Correct. And like, In any sense, for any any body of any anatomy of any background of anything, that is a monumental goal. Like, (laughs) there's no way to under undersell that. But uh, I think what's what's exciting is all these things that have kind of grown out of the little branches of that tree, including like this. uh, You know, I I found you guys through the Kabuki Education Week, and for those listening, it was a week long uh, who's who speaking about all things, mostly around the world of powerlifting. But I mean, I, I didn't see one that didn't apply to another sport, you know, one single education yeah. piece that didn't apply to another sport. So you guys are growing in that education piece. And also I, right before I hit record, you guys are talking about you're, you're trying to develop a new program, which is Kabuki recover or Re, Kabuki recovery. Right. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So what's that all about?
2: So basically what we're, what we're trying to do is to create a network of clinicians where, you know, we have this, you know, basically a Rolodex. You, I mean, I know that that's kind of an old mm-hmm. school term, but, um, you know, basically having a Rolodex where we can, because we coach people all across the world. And so um, right now we're hoping with the recovery, just starting smaller and starting, um, you know, just nationally, but it would be nice if, you know, I'm coaching someone, I don't know, in, in Ohio right? and uh, they, they flare up, something happens. And instead of them completely, uh, taking a break from their lifting or their coaching, how can we keep them in the game, right? Whether that's powerlifting, whatever sport it is, how can we keep them moving in the game without just being, you know, just taking a step back or having this debilitating injury where mentally it can be a horrible thing uh, to disrupt their progress, but physically as well. And so how can we get the clinician involved where it doesn't completely remove the clients away from um, from, from coaching and from what they love to do um, but also, how can we communicate with the clinician? Um, right now, traditionally, if, if someone gets hurt, they'll just, you know, Google search or whatever, find, find the clinician, and they just go there. Um, that clinician may not know their sport at all. They may not be used to teaching or, you know, uh, uh, treating patients who, who lift really heavy or do any sort of barbell sports, um, but their goal is to just get them out of pain, which is good. Um, but oftentimes the problems that we run into is that that clinician, you know, we have no idea what the what the uh, plan of care is for that okay. for, for our patient. And sometimes we even get the extreme of that clinician telling them that they shouldn't do anything anymore; they shouldn't lift, right? Never again. Never again. Sometimes, yes, um, I yeah. actually have a new a new client coming in who actually was uh, given to me by another clinician um, because their other doctor told them. You should never lift again. And so, you know, this this chiropractor is saying, I actually disagree. And I think if you work with the right people, you can still progress. You can still load without the fear of injury or
0: without... I think everybody, not everybody, but most of the people listening, and if you don't feel this way, if you're a listener, you can find another podcast, but most of us feel like exercise is a huge part of the recovery game. And if given the choice between exercise and no exercise, 99% of my listeners will go to exercise. I think my in-laws listen to the podcast and they're, they're really undecided right now, but, uh, you know, 99% of people go for exercise. And then if you said, all right, would you rather have high intensity exercise, whether it's. You know, volume, weight, and int- uh, uh, repetitions, whatever, or low intensity. I think everybody would drift towards high intensity with a little asterisk next to it, as long as that's in a safe manner. Like we all agree on that, right? But it sounds like what you guys, as coaches, are—if you—if I gave you a magic wand, you would say I would love to have a bunch of gling kairos and PTs that gling talk to me and gling help my clients, like actually keep lifting and push uh, like essentially allowing them to push as hard as they want as long as we don't regress in our injury right so literally if if somebody could squat with the you know 400 pounds on their back and that did not bother their back like do it and let's just be safe to not flare things up um what's interesting is uh what i would love to cover on this is how does that fall apart for you guys? I mean, sure, you do get these backwards people and like oh, this old school mentality of, oh, you take uh, four to six weeks off and, uh, you know, Advil and hope for the best. Like not, not I started the podcast because I want to talk to interesting people, but my personal experience in college, I jacked up my back at the lowest point in a Olympic squat. So super low squat, 492 pounds on my back. And I felt this little click and I could rack the weight. I stood up, racked it. And like three hours later, I could not move. Like could not get out of a chair. Couldn't do anything. And what I think happened, I think I tore my annular fibers. I think disc material started migrating out over two hours. And when it had migrated all the way out, I couldn't move. And I spent the next thirty days being the most consistent ice bather in my training room, the most consistent E stimmer in my training, the most consistent ultrasounder in my. I mean, I was showing up on time. I was showing up twice a day when I could. And at the end of 30 days, I had no pain. And I had absolutely zero thought that I could go back under a bar with anything, with 135 pounds, like nothing. And I was just like, this can't be it. Like, I've been as good as you could be. This cannot be what we're looking at. Anyways, so I'm getting all emotional because I, that just drove me nuts. And that's what drove me to be a chiropractor is like, you got to do more, like this rub and ice and shit. It's like, it's for the birds, man. 100%. Yeah.
2: 100, and that's the that's that's always the hard part. Even when we when we do have uh, uh, athletes who flare up or whatever reason, they, they try to already start backpedaling or they already start backing away, saying, you know, oh, I need to take a month off because something is flaring up. And you know, we're always trying to encourage our athletes that it's not an all or nothing approach, is, and that you know, coaches, clinicians, we can all be plugged in to their journey depending on where they're at, we want to meet them with where they're at and then being able to uh adapt and mold the program to to just to just progress from, from there. So uh rather than just saying, oh, okay, you something something bothered you, we must stop. We better stop. It, it's not, it must be bad. <laughs> right? Right. So we wanna we wanna stay away from uh yeah. you know, progressing it, as much as
0: possible. We don't need to treat this training as like a light switch, right? It's either turned right. on or it's off. It's like, no, we can there are times we're going to be training at hundred percent and other times 84% is as good as we can do today, but we'll take it. I want right. to have that day.
1: And not to take too much of a, a side road, but before we really get into the nuts and bolts of, you know, communication and other things, I think it's really important. Uh, I always try to remind myself the, the goal of the athlete and that can go one of two ways. Um, in one of our seminars, we talk, you know, pain science. And one of the problems is if you have somebody who's maybe on the lighter side of training, and especially if their family's like, oh, that weightlifting you're going to do is bad for you and you're going to hurt yourself. And then, of course, they have a little tweak and they go to a doctor who doesn't, you know, know necessarily whether it's ER, you know, family doc, chiropractor, whatever it is. And they say, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Your back is never going to be the same X, Y, Z. And it's that you shouldn't, you're hurt, you're injured, you're broke, that mentality. That can crush an athlete. On the flip side, you get guys like me, I'm just a knucklehead. I hurt myself. I'm like, how quick can I pick up massive amounts of weight? Like, I'm going to listen to my team, but I'm also going to push faster. I'm not quite as bad as Duffin is, but I'm more on that other end of the spectrum. So if I go in and somebody says, hey, you know, you can't do X, Y, Z. You shouldn't do this. Well, now I'm not even going to listen to you and we're not talking anymore. So we have to be aware of where the athlete is on that spectrum because we can do a lot to affect either negatively. Well, I guess they're both negative examples. One is, oh gosh, I can't do that anymore. I got to tell my coach that I'm not allowed to lift and I have to quit the sport. And the other side is, well, now I'm not listening to this person at all because they have no idea my mentality. I know it's not safe for my back, but I'm, you know, four weeks out from a world level competition and I'm going to show up and do something. So,
0: yeah, it, it's, a. Uh, I I think it takes a lot. I don't know about you guys as coaches, but it took me a lot of years to realize that I need to clearly identify the goal of the patient on day one, because like Kyle, you saying, I don't want, I want to get rid of my back pain is, is the same thing that your mother might tell me, right? But you, if I, if I don't clearly identify that goal, which is really, I want to get rid of my back pain so I can compete in this thing that's in six weeks and I'm really nervous. And, you know, there's some fear inside of me that I won't be able to compete. And the next time this will come around is a year or two years. You know, I worked with a guy who was on the Ryder Cup in golf that comes around. That doesn't come around often. It's four years if you get selected for the team, you know, and it's like, whoa, that's heavy duty odds, you know, and, and there are times in your life, like whether you're going to age up in powerlifting or, you know, in uh, Ironman triathlons is the same thing. Like if you want to win the race before you're, you age up like, Hey, that, that window is closing quickly. So I think identifying that is so important and identifying it. And what is the context they're talking about it? You know, again, like getting out of pain and getting out of pain for the competition are very different.
1: Yeah. That's a good note that you highlight identifying the context that they're saying it in, because if we're in a lot of pain, we can just say, man, this is killing me. You know, I don't want to hurt, but finding out those more pronging questions of why, what context that's a, Really key points, I think,
0: that you highlighted. Yeah. Because the other thing is, like, for competitive people, it's like, hey, we can get you that point with duct tape and zip ties and hold you together, and you might still win, but you may, you know, completely destroy your back. They'll be like, okay. Like, that's not even a decision. (laughs) I mean, I've talked to NFL players, and they're like, I wouldn't – I've had had an NFL player, seven joint replacement surgeries, and I said, would you ever trade it for anything? He's like, never. It's like – Okay, yeah, it's an interesting perspective. Anyway, so so what? So you you guys are wishing you had a network or Rolodex of uh, and for those uh, kids that are listening here, Rolodex was before phones had contact lists. It was a paper file that we'd flip in a circle. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, my dad was an attorney. I can picture his on his desk. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and they actually I would upgrade. You have have the <laughs> hundred card one, and then it's like, ooh, this is a two hundred and fifty card one. Ooh, you know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and I, I got a, I worked for him for like a day putting the, <laughs> the business card inside of the Rolodex card. It had like a little cutouts and you would kind of weave it in there. Yep. Anyways, super, yep. super exciting stuff. But you guys wish you had a, a network of people where you could call and say, Hey, I have this athlete in Columbus, Ohio, who, uh, is telling me he tweaked his back at the gym. And I guess one of the limitations is you guys can't be there with him. So you're with that athlete, you're going off their report of it, right?
2: Right. and so one thing that we're working on right now is uh, a way to communicate uh, we need to find a common language uh, I think that's probably one of the hardest barriers to, uh, yeah. to break through right now you know if because right now the only form of communication that we're getting is through the, through the client uh, through the patient Which, and you know if it's just a he said she said sort of sort of communication mm-hmm. what the clinician may tell the client or patient may be different once it gets to us or what we say might be different um,
1: by the time it gets to you. Right. Especially if they're, you know, a week in between, they check in with us on a Thursday, next Wednesday, they see, you know, their, their uh, physical therapy, their chiropractic appointment, and it's their interpretation of what we said, because it's not going direct from professional to professional.
0: Well, yeah. And the other thing is like, I don't like, I don't tell my patients the, I I give them a um, explained version, you know, which is like when you guys are selling uh, equipment, you don't tell us like, well, uh, the steel starts out as this level of blah, blah, blah. And then they add 4% of chromium to it because it, you know, resists like, it's like, hey, here's the bar. It's made out of our best performing steel. It's like, that's been translated a lot on purpose, like so that we can understand, they can understand it. Because it's much more important to me that my patient understand what's going on than know the exact name of the thing that's going on, you know, but it does bring up a good point. So talking professional and professional, and then, so we, let's say that we get to this point. I mean, tell me about the dream here. So we get to this point where we're communicating. What, what happens then? What do you guys want to uh, occur there? And for my listeners, I'm asking these questions because it's always great to get the perspective from other people involved because you know, Kabuki, as it grows, if they say they're, if you have 50 clients in an area and they say, any of them say they're hurt, it'd be great if you say, there's one person in in Dubuque, Iowa that I trust. And it's, you know, Sherry Johnson. She's a, she's an LMT, but blah, 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 blah. Or there's one Cairo in Columbus, Ohio that I trust. And, uh, well, That avenue, wouldn't be bad.
2: <laughs> one avenue through uh, Kabuki Recovery that we're also trying to build is uh, creating a course where if you want to be a part of Kabuki Recovery, if we can all take the same courses, then we at least know that there's that common language that that we can uh, build off of. I um, mean, you know, the goal isn't necessarily for us to receive your guys' evaluation or your, uh, your daily notes, right? We, we don't necessarily need that information. Um, and, you know, that's... And yeah, then you'll
0: turn into an insurance company. and So right. that's, that's, it's horrible. That's it's horrible. And, like,
2: <laughs> and, and vice versa, we don't necessarily yeah, yeah. want it to be, you know, us sending you our programs and expecting you to just interpret the program. Mm-hmm. Right? It's how can we uh, create just the movement, pa- the movement priorities is, is the, the best name, the best term that I can give. What are the movement priorities from a clinician standpoint and from a coaching standpoint that we need to focus on in order to get this patient, uh, or client moving forward, um, I don't need to necessarily know, you know, the level of the cervical spine and the side and you know all of all of those things. Yeah. But if you told me, for example, all right, well, you know, this this patient has and the neck pain, and usually I already know that they do because I'm I'm already asking a clinician to help help us out, right? Right, right. So you know, and the movement priority therefore is thoracic mobility for improving breathing and bracing mechanics. Um, those those type of uh, common uh, common words would be a great way to to just make sure that we're all on the same page. Essentially, um, you know, even something that I think uh, sets Kabuki apart is just our priority on uh, different movement foundations. You know, we we are assessing breathing mechanics, and bracing mechanics, and things that are happening at the foot with every single one of our clients, and we we want to make sure that that is, um, that that's set, they, that they understand what the client knows why we focus so much on breathing. Yeah, they're expecting mm-hmm. to come in and, and lift heavy weight. And then all of a sudden, we're telling them, well, you have to lay on your back and learn how to use your diaphragm. A lot of times, they're just like, what? <laughs> and, you know, even me coming from a clinical side, you know, I know a lot of clinicians that uh, teach breathing and bracing differently than I do. And, you know, you add load to that and it completely changes everything. So it's, it's, you know, we want to be able to, it's, it's trust, right? Well, I want the clinician to be able to trust me knowing that if you say, Hey, their movement or their breathing patterns are, are, uh, you know, disrupting their ability to create intra-abdominal pressure and embracing, or they're, you know, they have flexion tolerance. And you tell me, we want the clinicians to be able to trust the coaches that we know what you're talking about without necessarily going on in the ins and outs of what the diagnosis is or like, you know, I, I
0: don't necessarily have to, you know, yeah, I don't forward. know what any of my other listeners are thinking right now, but I got to say, uh, take this in the spirit, which is intended. I'm in love with both of you. I mean, if you're thinking about IAP and flexion intolerance as strength coaches for powerlifting, like we, we can, uh, you know, we can hold arms and, and, uh, and gallop through flowering fields together because like, we are so close to, I mean, just using like, you're, you're right, the same, Pre, the same language goes so far in understanding, like, uh, you know, Hey, I, for whatever reason, this, this person's spine just doesn't like flexion in their lumbar spine per, you know, uh, do whatever you want. Like Kyle's, that is, you know, as LMT, like, Hey, you have your tricks for that. I'm a chiropractor. I want to adjust it. You know, adjust them for that. Like, uh, but, but we can all agree that in training that that's an area we need to keep a careful eye on. Right. Yep.
1: Uh, and that's I think where, that's, you know, this clear communication comes, but it has to be with the, the same um, verbiage. That's why one thing we're talking about from day one is the same verbiage. Yeah. Um, we might have it, you know, but there's a, and I understand some of the blue levels of, of distrust, um, just with the amount of educational experience right now, there can be bad practitioners and bad coaches on both sides. I'll stay completely neutral in the middle. Like we're not going to point fingers, but it's easy to see you are like, well, You can
0: go ahead and point fingers cause that's good for ratings on a podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but if you have you know, somebody that can take a weekend course and become a trainer, um, somebody with years and years of schooling, it's going to be really hard for them, no matter how knowledgeable this person is, it's going to be hard for them to put trust in that person. Now, if they're talking the same talk and the same lingo right away, we're like, oh, wow, this, this young trainer knows their stuff. This is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then if we can make goals that are the same and have some professional boundaries, where this person is going to trust this aspect, and this person is going to trust this aspect, we're not stepping each other's toes because we know what our job is. But back to what you said, we know what the client's goals are within the parameters of what the client is saying. Then we can really work together as a unit. Because right now, as we all know, there's too much of you know either silence or um, you know pointing fingers and not working together as a unit.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Which you know, I'll tell you, like the most successful clients I've. I can think of the five most successful clients that financially were absolute home runs. Uh, all had one thing in common. On the front end, we did a meeting. So they're all golfers. We did a meeting with me as the Cairo, their swing coach, them as the athlete, their club fitter or you know whoever was getting them uh, fit for clubs and balls and equipment and everything. And then usually their strength coach and sometimes even a, a, for a couple of them, massage therapists, if they're getting massage once a week. And I mean, I can remember the we had five people around in a round table. And after that, for those listening that are like, I don't know if I can coordinate that. Once that person feels like they're number one and they're looking at everybody going, God, every single person is here committed to get me better. The barrier to asking for payment like drops off the face of the earth. I mean, if they have the money, they're going to spend it because they're like, this is what I want. I mean, you take Chris, for example, like you get that dude has like, 86 people on his team but he 86 faces facing him and if he also has the money it's like hey this is what i want okay like i think that you need you know two and a half massages every month cool book it like regardless of cost you need this exact protein shake cool make it i don't care what the supplier is you know it's like i don't need a coupon at the the nutrition center and i think that a lot of times young young clinicians think that they're the hot one and that they're the only one but the sense of that room of when you're all about performance. It's so incredible for business and also it makes everybody on that team feel great.
2: I don't think I've ever had a client tell me that they didn't want to go to a clinician when I recommended it because Mm -hmm. oftentimes we actually get clients coming to us saying that, oh, I need to get out of pain when we know that that's not necessarily our scope of practice, right? So, but we know that we can probably to modify their exercises or their programs. And that might help them get out of pain from an indirect standpoint. But sometimes we know that it needs to be a clinician that is addressing their issues. And when when we, I think that there's this fear of saying, I don't know the answer.
1: 100%.
2: And I actually love being able to tell my clients, you know, I'm gonna be honest with you, that's either out of my scope or I don't know that answer but guess what I have someone for you and it's just like that they're like oh great perfect and all of a sudden they have this team and they feel that trust they feel that support and i think that's important not just from you know an athlete who may not have team but especially someone who has had multiple bad experiences uh has tried multiple different ways of, of training, but no matter what, they always get beat up or they, they, you know, maybe they're seeing a clinician every single week for the past, you know, I don't know, few months, or, you know, they're seeing the same, you know, going in for their, their monthly or monthly checkup. And then yet they still flare up. They still have the same chronic issues, but you know, they, it's, it's refreshing, I think, to the client when here we are saying, I don't
0: have all the answers, but I'm going to create a team of people who will all help you do so. I mean, Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's funny. Everybody who performs at a high level, you know, NBA, NFL, NHL, like they all develop that uh, like along the way. They don't come to it as like, hey, this is a stupid idea. I'm going to do this. They, it just kind of develops. And you realize in the end, they have a whole team that needs to work together. And so it, you know, it just tells you that that many hits of that program make the most sense, make the most sense. So I got a question for you guys. I want you to mull on this. I'm going to do my little uh, live read real quick, but here's the question. What do you do? How do you balance? I'll ask it this way. How do you balance staying in your lane and also helping your client when you realize that the other side is not performing to your desires? I'm trying to be kind on how I say that. Uh so let me do my live read real quick and we'll cover this when I get back. So uh we're talking about communication today. Communication is the most important thing you do with your clients, whether it's for marketing purposes, for patient care, to give them a wow experience, whatever it is, communicating is so tough. And so many people communicate through email, which unfortunately is just rot with problems. Most people have multiple email addresses, they get hundreds of emails a day and don't have time to look through everything. Now, how do most people communicate now? It's through text messaging. So, use text messaging to communicate with your patients and your clients and your gym and your clinic. And the best tool for that is Clinic Gym Connect. Check out clinicgymconnect.com and you can see options for communicating the way that your clients do, which is through text messaging. Our app allows you to assign conversations to different people on the team. So, if you want to, uh, if a client asks a question and you want them to follow up with the trainer, you can assign that conversation to the trainer, but the the, uh, customer's Number that they're contacting from stays exactly the same. So it allows us to be both a business and a wonderful communicator. So if you're interested in that and so many more features, including automation, phone handling, and uh, sending out text messages with pictures for their birthday to celebrate that little day in their life, check out clinicgymconnect.com. Again, that's clinicgymconnect.com. All right, now let's get back to it. So there you are. You want to stay in your lane because you are a consummate professional. And you look to the other lane and there's a uh, beat up piece of shit, broken down car driving next to you with a a tire that's about to fall off. And you're saying, what do I do here? So how do you guys balance that?
2: Well, I definitely think it's uh, higher on my radar because I have a license, but right now I'm practicing or I am just doing coaching full time. And so I always, my my clinician switch never turns off, right? (laughs) So I always have that license hanging over my head. So I'm a little bit more Mm
0: -hmm. sensitive. And in one sense, it's a huge advantage, right? Like, yeah. like it is a huge advantage. Oh, I've seen that at its worst, or I've seen that in a different format, or I've seen x-rays of what that looks like deep inside that joint. I know what that is.
2: Yeah. So I, I it, it's great because I have that in the back of my mind, but I have to be careful with how I, how I address something, because again, it's all about staying in our lanes and being able to, for out when needed. Um, but part of the intake process that we get with so all of our clients, they'll sign up for coaching and they have to fill out an intake form. And one of those boxes are movement limitations. And so right off the bat, before we even talk to the client, we already are reading what their movement limitations are, what their goals are. A lot of it, if they have a laundry list of movement limitations, um, I'm gonna, I wanna ask, you know, was it formally diagnosed? Are you seeing someone currently? What are they, what are you doing to, uh, to manage that? And, you know, depending on their answer, so if they haven't seen anyone and it's more self-diagnosed, I am going to ask them, how are you managing it? And are you open to seeing someone? Because first, we want to make sure that we're, that we're eliminating all any red flags that are happening. Um, and if, you know, maybe it's just something like, oh, you know, once in a while, if I bench too heavy, I'm going to get some shoulder discomfort. Uh, and it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't limit my daily life. Uh, it just comes and goes, and they just want to av- work to avoid that. Um, I may not be so quick to refer out, and my goal as a coach is to try to see what modifications I can make in their technique first to see if I don't, like, if I can fix something in the movement itself uh, through, um, you know, external cues, through, and then also, you know, programming different accessory exercises to address those weak links, then, you know, referral isn't necessarily a top priority. Um, but if modifying doesn't work, and if their issues are bothering them even before they get into the gym, and it's you know addressing it, it's uh, hurting their, it's affecting their daily life. Uh, I definitely, and they're already not working with anyone. I, I want to make sure that to get them in front of a clinician to at least have some formal evaluation, and again, making sure that there are no red flags that that are going to um, you know further mess them up. Right.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, I think one of the things it sounds like you've done along the way, Cass, is you put aside your ego and just said, number one, let the client direct what's going on. Number two, what resources can I provide? Not having to be you, right? You're just saying what resources, whether it's just a contact or a method or something, you know, and then, uh, lastly, like, Hey, what are the things within my wheelhouse that I can clearly improve?
2: On the other side of that spectrum too, we always want to try to limit regressions as much as possible. And sometimes I think that we get you know, some, some clients who are just wanting to do like a ton of bird dogs, <laughs> right? They're like, what what movement can or what I, I'm I'm hiring you guys because I really need to do a lot of, I feel like I need to uh, do movement prep. I need better, better drills to do to, to fix this one. Really,
0: I love I- those. I love those clients for the fact. Like, I have this one client, and he will tell me like. I did, you know, 45 minutes of foam rolling. Then I did all my movement exercises. And then I got in the spa. Then I got out, did a 42 minute yoga routine. And then I did some Pilates work. And then I went to play golf and I, my back hurt. So I think I might've had, I might have to do more Pilates. And I'm like, I wish I had your level of commitment, my man. Like you are investing three hours to get ready to go hit a little white ball. Like, I wish I had your drive in life.
2: <laughs> and that was our uh, presentation in Kabuki Education Week. Is um, you know I think a lot of people read the title thinking that it was going to be oh we're going to be do- using a lot of tools before movement prep, but the actual presentation was us talking about how we want people to get to their sport-specific task as soon as possible. And there's a role, a time and place for you know instrument-assisted self-tissue mobilization or uh, a lot. Of, there's there's a role for foam rolling. There's or there's a time and place for all of that, but the end, but the goal is remember why you stepped foot in the gym to begin with, right? And yeah. It wasn't too formal for 45 minutes.
0: But and as a gym owner at one point myself and Kyle, I'm sure you've heard this, like you get a lot of people when you do these perfect movement prep things and, and blah, blah, blah. And they have so many exercises and they're like 47 minutes into a 60 minute session going, Hey, are we going to lift today? Like it's hard to ask them for money at that point. Cause they're like, I don't, I, I think we might be disjointed here. Like, I'm doing my 40-second 40, 40, uh, uh, set of bird dogs and this rolling exercise, and I haven't yet actually lifted a dumbbell or kettlebell. And I yeah, came to back to your- the
1: back to the clients' goals, and you know, and, and how they articulate those. I have that problem in the gym a lot when I used to manage uh, commercial fitness and trainers. You know, I have some of those real techie trainers that want to fix everything before. Like, okay, but your client was here to lose fifty pounds, and they're not sweating yet, so it's going to be really hard to continue to keep them as a client. So. Back to your uh, previous question, I'll take a little bit different spin on it, but it's kind of the same thing that, uh, that Cassie said, you know, uh, mine's a little bit different than the average coach because, um, you know, I have a different schooling than, than a physical therapist, but I can put hands on people and I can make them do exercises. So It's
0: like 85% of the game, right?
1: <laughs> right. Um, so I'm always looking at it from that, that tissue perspective and the movement perspective. But if, if uh, somebody is working with a clinician that's, you know, maybe not getting the best results and the wheels are still falling off the bus, or the ones that I think are even harder is, you know, somebody says, well, I've worked with, you know, um, you know, I've seen all these physical therapists, these clinicians before, and they told me I can't do X, Y, Z, but they hear what they're saying. And I'm like, okay, but you've been in pain for 10 years. So what they told you is not helping. And then they're like, well, so I'm going to go get see the surgeon. And that's where I like the hands-on approach. I'm like, okay, well, I hear you about your carpal tunnel and your nerve pain. Let's just, let's talk about this logically first. Let me touch you in a couple spots and see if we can reduce pain, inflammation, all stuff goes away. Why are you going to go get cut? Right. I'm going to propose the question back to them by showing them a different way. But if they're dead set on it, I go back to being super confident and change what I can. Like, even if I disagree, I again, have to remember it's back to those first points I made. If their chiropractor is their neighbor and their best friend that they go golfing with, for me to tell them they're wrong and they don't know what they're talking about, even if that's truly what I believe, I could lose that client because I don't know their belief of their doctor. And again, if it's not clearly communicated, I'm not sure what they're actually saying. So worst case scenario, I'll suggest maybe a second opinion on something. Um, And the nice thing about the team here, we can do that. Cassie can be working with one of her clients and maybe it's just not, there's something off. She can pull me into the office and get another coach's perspective. That's the ultimate goal with Kabuki Recovery is, hey, I know you're, you've are you been with this person for a long time, but you're not quite getting the results you want. Let's just go get a second opinion over here. And during the meantime, as a coach, I'm going to control the things that I can. I'm going to be confident in my job and do everything I can to help build that client up.
2: I always want to try to have the client feel like they're in control. Right, so, for example, if, if let's say I'm going to choose a very typical. Uh, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to do an example here. Uh, let's say I send them to, I tell them to go get a, a second opinion on a diagnosis for knee pain, and then suddenly they come back saying, "Well, my clinician told me to make sure I you know squat with my chest up and I don't let my knees travel over my toes." And they told me not to squat with a bar in my back. Um, you know, I may give it a chance. I'm going to say, okay, well, let's modify some things. And if things aren't getting better, rather than me saying, telling them things aren't getting better, I want to ask the client, well, how do you feel about this? Like, how do you feel are you, when you leave, when you leave the gym or when you leave the, the physical therapist or the chiropractor's office How do you feel about it? Do you feel better? And if they don't, I'm going to let them analyze that answer, right? I'm not going to tell them you need to do something different. I'm just going to let them guide that thought process. And, you know, from there, I'll be, I'll I'll suggest, well, you know, we do have these clinicians over here who I know are used to working with barbell athletes. Uh, They may have uh, a little bit, a different perspective to treat your issue. And then if they're open and wrong, then great. And I want to be able to plug in that, that clinician and we keep moving forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the easiest things as a clinician sometimes is like, what's going on? Oh, your, you know, knee hurts. What have you tried? How'd that work? And usually it's a long list of didn't work, didn't work, didn't work. And I'm just, you know, I'll kind of sit on it for about three seconds ago. So we can agree we're not going to do more of that. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess that doesn't work. And I always think like this is the first time you're realizing that, but you're realizing that, you know. And it's yeah, exactly. perfect. Yeah, People yeah. Are I mean, on that with
1: their their own uh, thoughts on their own pain, we get caught up in the minutia, and you know, until somebody asks them a crystal clear question, they're like, "Wait, wow, I haven't thought about that for ten years. I kept beating right. my head against the wall, and my forehead still sore."
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean. I think it's one of those things. I'm sure that those people could look at some point of our lives and find somewhere where they're like, why are you still doing this? I'm like, okay, you're right. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I don't just tell my wife every day, Hey, here's what I'm going to do today because that would reduce the arguments probably at the end of every day of how come you didn't tell me what you did today. (laughs) All right. Tomorrow will be the day. (laughs) Right. But one of the reasons I asked this question about staying in your lane is I think that there are also I can offer a counter idea. There are also us clinicians that want to integrate exercise and we want to, we want our clients truly to be active. And, and the best part about being a clinician, I think is like, if you say I have this goal of competing in this powerlifting event, I want to get a text from you six months later, dude, you won't believe it. I placed first, you know, like that's rewarding. I'm being part of that. What sucks is seeing that person at the store and go, Hey man, what about that power lift? Went, Uh, I just couldn't do it. Cause I, I could never get my back to feel better, you know? And one of the things I think that's frustrating with, with us is what I call the ping pong game where somebody comes in and says, whatever, I have, you know, low back pain. Okay. We do everything we can. And we send them to a trainer, strength coach, whoever, and we don't see them for about six to eight weeks. And then they come back and they go, yeah, my back pain's back. Like, okay. And then they go back to, we send them back to the trainer and they ping pong back and forth until somebody burns out. Either the strength coach thinks I'm a complete idiot or the, the, but most likely what happens is the client is like, I'm not paying either one of you guys anymore. Like this is a good way to go broke and I'm not getting anything I want, you know? And so in those cases, a lot of times I want to go like, Hey, I will, I'll take over the training or I will offer some training. I'm a strength coach. Like I've did it in college and you know, I've been paid for it, but I wouldn't say I'm the greatest strength coach. I'm certainly not at like your guys level, but I'm, if I were to give myself a grade, I'm a C minus, but the person I'm referring to is a D. (laughs) So it's like, what do you do in those situations where you're like, I could do this better and I want to do it better and it's fun, but I don't want to step outside my lane. Just like, I don't want you guys going, Hey, let me, you know, let me correct your diagnosis there. It's like, Yeah. So it, it's tough, I think, for both ways. But um, that's one of the reasons I do love your idea of uh, unifying the language. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with like the SFMA, the Selective Functional Movement Assessment? Uh-huh. One of the greatest things I think about that is, hell, half the first the first morning is all like, listen, you can call it whatever you want. But we agree that it's a tissue problem, right? It's not a joint problem. Or we agree this is a joint problem. Agreed? Like, you can call it whatever you, you can call it fascial stretching, neuromobilization, you can call it trigger points, whatever. But we just know, like, this is not in the joints. Like, yeah, okay, we can agree to that. Cool, then do your magic that you, you know, and I'm going to do my magic that I think's better and whatever, we're going to come to the same, roughly the same result. Goes back to that common goal, right? All right, Kyle, I hear you. Yes, the common goal. Let the client drive it. No, but I think it's it's interesting that you bring that up. Like all these things do come back to that single source of, are we super clear on what the client wants? You know? Yeah. And I would say that many times as a clinician, I'm sure you guys have had this as a coach, like you start drifting away to what you want for the client, you know, rather than what they truly said they want.
1: Well, especially as young coaches, I know uh, I, I was... Um, definitely guilty of that. Uh, and, I, and I see it a lot with younger coaches. They have their vision and then they just take it and run with it. And they're not checking back in. They're not making sure that they're on track for that, especially yeah. because plans change, right? People that have a plan that's written in stone, and they're going to do this over a year. They're going to take them from this point to this point. But then life happens, right? They miss some workouts. The family was sick. And these times they were locked down and didn't have access to gym equipment. The plan has to change. And if we don't remember that, then we're just sticking with this old plan. And especially when we're talking injuries, that's a recipe for disaster because we didn't modify to the times, the demands, the stresses of life, the other changes that came into play.
0: Yeah.
2: I am always educating clients how a good program needs to be flexible. It needs to meet you where you're at. Um, And Mm -hmm. the more more you try to stick to a cookie cutter plan the easier it is going to be a fail because there's, there's yeah. no room. There's no wiggle room. And so I think that uh, I look at I, it, I have a friend. not a black and white answer either. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, plugging and playing, right? That's I think that a lot of people don't realize that even when it comes to treatment, whether you're in um, a treatment room or you're out on the gym floor, um, we're not trying to sit there and say, yes, I know the answer. This is going to work. And that's what's going to happen. This is going to outcome. No, realistically, it's. <laughs> okay, so here's the situation, let's assess, right, address it, reassess, it's a constant assessment process, and so, you yeah, know, that's, I love that that is what the clinical side has taught me on things, right, mm-hmm. so you always have to have a test, and so for the, our presentation in Kabuki Education Week, you know, we, I, I think I mentioned something, how let the bar, or the, whatever, let's say squat mentioned deadlift list is there, is there a, a lift, Let the bar be that test, right? Get under the bar as soon as possible and self-assess. Like, oh, okay, my thoracic spine is feeling tight today. Maybe I should go do something about that. Instead of just, you know, I'm going to roll out for 20 minutes because I know that thoracic mobility is a good thing. I don't really know if it applies to me, but I'm just going to try it. And so always trying to just have that constant self-assessment and then also having the coaches lens of assessing and we just have to plug and play and just see what we can modify, what works, what doesn't. And understand that it's not going to be the same throughout your entire spectrum, your entire journey of, of coaching, right? What worked five years ago may not work now, right? Wow. What worked three weeks ago might not work now. And it's, um, you know, always trying to to just see what works. and, and
0: Yeah. I think it's, I have a friend that owns a restaurant and he's an amazing chef. And, you know, he one time told me, and it was struck when you were saying this, he said, like, he'll plan a menu. And then he said, then the produce will come in. And I'll realize, well, we can't, <laughs> do, can't do watermelon salad because those watermelons are just horrible, you know. And he has these great menu items, but he has to also adapt to what's in season, what's available, what. And even if it's like, hey, that I can get you whatever bib lettuce, but it's not the best you've ever seen. He has to adapt. And I think you bring up a good point. He has to do that every night. Literally every night he gets a shipment of produce, he's reassessing. And sometimes we get lazy with our, our patients, you know, I mean, and it's so funny when you're saying like you assess, it's so funny when you, I don't know if you guys play this game. Sometimes you'll see that person, you'll bet on what it is like, oh, I know what this is. This is a thoracic spine issue. And then you do the assessment, like, all right, wasn't expecting that (laughs) your your T spines perfectly clear. Damn it. Now I actually have to think, but it also is kind of an adventure in doing that as well.
2: I remember as a student, as a clinician, trying to uh, have a plan before the patient comes in. And then you hear their subjective, and then you don't ever look at that plan again. You're yeah. like, oh, I had this plan. I right. Then I heard what they had to say for the day. And then I watched them move. That plan
0: went to I, the trash I, can. Yeah,
2: I don't even know what was on that yep. plan. And
0: well, thank God you do that because some people just stick to the plan even in the face of that. Conflicting information, so.
1: I see that a lot, again, in the the strength coaching world. And I think some of that can be due to lack of education or, you know, they're so set in their ways. I see that a lot with younger strength coaches that haven't experienced a lot. Um, And I'm not saying we shouldn't have our skill set and specialized because I think we should. But um, coaches that really go out and learn and utilize different tools, it would be like, you know, for us, you know, we have the duffalo bar, we have the transformer for a very basic example. A lot of people just want to squat with the straight bar on their back and we're like, wait, 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 we have a toolbox. The squat's not bad. The tool you're using is wrong. We don't have to reinvent the wheel here, but so many people have all they've ever used is a straight bar in this random example. They're just going to beat their client over the head with a straight bar instead of simply using the same pattern, but a different tool for that pattern.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a great trainer. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever follow Ben Bruno on Instagram, but super smart trainer and, uh, also incredibly funny, which is always a great combo. (laughs) And he loves landmine presses and landmine exercises, right? Like, but he says the problem is, especially in, he works with, it's heartbreaking. He works with a lot of females in Hollywood, like these incredibly good looking uh, uh, women. But one thing about them is they have smaller hands. And so that huge, you know, round pipe at the end of of a barbell, he's like, it's too hard for him. So he has a tool that slides on and necks it down to an easier to grip thing. But just like looking at that end user and saying, what do I need to do here to maybe make the tool a little bit easier? We're not talking about crazy changes here, but just a little bit easier. Or like, hey, this bar has been straight. Why is it straight? I don't know. Just that's how they've always been. What if we put a little camber in it? I don't know. Let's try it. And it's like,
2: (laughs) exactly.
0: yeah, it's like, how come it takes this long to figure these things out? Like, how come that bar wasn't bent, you know, like, Whatever, 70 years ago with the uh, the strongman and you know uh, right? The, the old, you know, what's his name? Uh oh man, what's that book? Oh god. I'm trying to remember the man the mighty inch or whatever. The mighty Adam. I can't remember that. It's a old strength book, like you only you get through Iron Mind or something. Anyways, um dusting off some old things like in my my Rolodex of ideas. So uh, well, guys, we're up against the clock and I do, this has been awesome. I feel like uh, we could keep going down this path, but let's do this. For those clinicians listening, I'm going to keep this specific. I always ask for follow, but for those clinicians listening that truly are like, hey, I want to be the person or I want to be a great resource to you guys as Kabuki, to you guys who are coaching, you know, virtually coaching clients all around the world. How can they kind of get involved or well, like, what's the first step they should do and what should they definitely check out?
1: Well, it's a great time to jump in because all of the work that Cass is putting in behind the scenes to make this happen. It's something that uh, Duffin really wants to have happen to, Chris, in a a long-term vision. So um, it's easy to get a hold of us, but I just wanted to throw that out there. It's a great time, you know, as things roll out, we'll be fine-tuning and tweaking things. So no better time than now. So you're the
0: Don King to to Cass here you're the promoter huh you're like hey right now yes Cass Cass is yes. doing the, the, you can the work, find work me, here.
2: yeah email me at cassandra cassandra at strength.com c-a-s-s-a-n-d-r-a uh, and then i can communicate you communicate with you more on what we're looking for uh, and know, as a rough
0: roadmap it looks like there will be education mm-hmm. like we talked about break down those language barriers and then there will be a network of hey you know, we have this person who's got these licenses in this area. We want you to go to them. And then probably some communication from coaches along the way.
1: Yeah, Always a great time to get in too when, uh, you know, we're building that network. Be the the, the first people on that network. Yes. So my email is super simple. It's Kyle at kyle.kabukistrength.com. But you can always find both of us on the website if you click through and see the mm-hmm. coaches. Um, multiple ways to contact us.
0: Yeah. And I would hate to end this with, if you haven't heard of Kabuki Strength... And if you're interested at all in strength training or whatever, I think some of the tools you guys have come up with, like I'll say the trap bar, the Duffalo bar, like the, they're just a great new method of thinking pragmatically about lifting. Like I could lift so much more if only where the trap bar, I could probably get another set if I could just load this thing faster, you know, like that's yeah. a big thing. Or I wish... I have small, uh, so for me, like I always hated when you, we worked with golfers, like these collegiate female golfers, they're usually tiny. They're five foot four. They look like, uh, they're, they're one of those like squirrel suit wings when they're on a normal trap bar. The the handles are just so wide and you're like, oh man, I wish there was a narrow, they could take a more narrow approach. And it's like, yeah, we solved that too. And it's just awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm eleven, And so, um,
2: if you look at our website, they actually use me and Chris to compare, that look. Nice. Here's here's someone who's 4'11, 100 pounds, and she's lifting using the same yeah. implement as someone like Christopher and yeah. we're gonna make it work.
1: Same right. implement,
0: different handle, yeah. different bracket. Yeah. Yeah. Easy stuff. But yeah. it, it it makes sense if you're if you're truly listening yeah. to your end client, and you truly are running into these problems. Like I'm. The only the only downside of these tools is I just sit there and I think, why the hell did it take this long? <laughs> why yeah. did it take till twenty, whatever eighteen, to develop these? So
1: well, I don't know, Chris. Uh, Chris threw it out there. Thanks for you know the the confidence and the the plug on that. But really, you know, I, I'm I'm a pretty confident guy, but I try not to be too you know braggadocious with our company. But there's really no other company out there who's growing at the rate we are with education, specialty equipment, um, you know, and coaching. And one of the reasons why is because, again, we're looking at, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Why are we trying to, we're not trying to just sell straight bars. There's there's plenty of people selling a regular barbell and can compete on better bar, less bar, better price, all that. How are we going to help the people move? Because there's way more people that lift weights. We're talking golfers, fighters, you know, all kinds of different athletes. There's really not that many people that actually power compared to all the other sports. So if we can help these people now, we're also doing better as coaches, but then again, um, we're not sending them to you as beat up. They're not as broken. So.
0: Yeah. I love it. All right, guys. Well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate the time. Once again, Kyle Young and Cassandra strung down at Kabuki strength, email them, check out their website. Um, I'm really excited about what the next five years hold too, because launching this recovery program in line with all this other education and the tools to do it is it's, a uh, yeah. It's, it's the new, uh, human body space race. This is super cool. So good game changer. Thank you. Yeah. Thank well, you thank you guys time. for the time. And like I always say, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks guys. See ya. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of clinic gym radio. As always, this episode was brought to you by clinic, gym What is clinic gym connect? Well, it is a communication software that allows you to connect with your clients, communicate, market to them, follow up, provide amazing service and help them fall in love with you even more than they already do. So if you are interested in all those things and people falling in love with you, you should probably check out clinicgymconnect.com. Once again, that's clinicgymconnect.com.